Good morning and welcome to the Free to Be Show. Today, I'm bringing another guest to you to have more of a conversation because a lot of times we think that we cannot have loving in the workplace. And I want to bring you conversations where you can see how you can love each other more. So today I have um, a wonderful guest who is an author of How to Take Care of Business with the Enneagram. And I'll introduce him to you right after this. Welcome to the Free to Be Show. I am a stand for peace, love, joy, bliss, sexual pleasure, spiritual connection, elemental connection with nature, and restoring worthiness in women that requires for mind alignment with your thoughts, heart, nutrition, and yoni. Be a stand for your ultimate joy so that you are replenished and aligned. Are you free? Receive replenishment. And I am happy to introduce you to Carl Hebenstreit. Welcome to the Free to Be Show. Thank you, Cordelia. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So what'd you think of that intro? <laughs> very comprehensive. Very comprehensive. I love it. It's and it's all the different elements that we all need to be happy and joyous and loving in our lives. So yeah. One hundred percent. So tell me um a little bit of, of the background. What um what is your story with the Enneagram? How did you come to that? So I came to be introduced to the Enneagram during a PhD program that I was enrolled in. And that was back in 19, last century, 1999, <laughs> I guess it was right, right at the very end. And it was uh, just a fluke. It was an absolute fluke, just as most of life's pleasures are, right? You don't plan them. Sometimes they just drop right in your lap. Yeah. And then it's up to you to pick them up and take advantage of them or not. And I was very fortunate that I was in a program where my professor was friends with this woman named Helen Palmer. I had no idea who she was. Helen Palmer, for those that are not in the Enneagram community, as I was not back then, <laughs> is one of the pivotal people who have brought the Enneagram into modern times. Mm -hmm. And I say that because she was one of the first people to actually write it down. In the uh -huh. past, the Enneagram was always taught by word of mouth. So people would learn about it from teachers who were very well versed in it, who had studied it for, for decades and their whole lives and had gone to all ends of the earth just to study it and understand it. And this one professor, one, well, one teacher, I would call him, uh, one guru of the Enneagram learned about it in Chile and then brought it to Berkeley where he was teaching it word of mouth to his followers. And um, Helen um, knew one of the followers and wrote it down and the book was circulated and people started to understand the Enneagram of personality. That's what it was back then. So it took a leap from spiritual development to personality. And then from that point on, it ended up going into business. So uh, other people taught it in business. Um, one, of the, one of the people that first brought it into business is Ginger Lapid Bogda probably in the 80s. 
-hmm. And there's so much applicability, not only for spiritual development and personal development and just uh, development as an employee, as, as, a, as a person, as, as a family member, but you can also use all the principles in organization development. So the framework itself can be applicable to organization development because a lot of people just think of the Enneagram as just one, their number, one number, and there are nine numbers. And the whole point is that just as all those different facets that were in your introduction, all those need to be integrated. Hmm. So all these numbers are within us and some of them are more dormant than others. Some of them are less accessible than others because we're not focusing on them. But when we focus on all nine numbers, we can become more complete and more full of love, more uh, able to relate to other people, to understand other people, to love other people because we understand them better. And that's the whole goal. The whole goal is to integrate all of those nine types within us so that we are total fuller human beings. So it's like a nine mind alignment, <laughs> nine part alignment. I love that, you know, and the fact that it began as a spiritual practice, right? I I really love these ancient ancient traditions where, you know, it had to be embodied is what I'm mm -hmm. hearing, right? Yes. And, um, and then I love also that it was a woman that captured it mm -hmm. um, for to, to pass it down. And so um, that's interesting. How did you choose to integrate it into your work? Did you do it immediately? I know you've, you yeah. yourself are an executive coach. So, right. okay. So tell me. Back then I wasn't. Back then I was in human resources. Okay. And I had a, my start in human resources was in recruitment. And then I became a generalist and started getting involved in all different facets of human resources. And I had a degree in, in a master's in human resource management. So I had the, the foundation for it. And then a lot of the practical experience from all the different companies that I worked at. And what I found out, what, what blew me away was when Helen was introducing it and I was understanding that, wow, there are nine different ways that people are motivated. And guess what? We're not tapping into every single one of those. Our culture, our organizational cultures, our, our company cultures, our, even our, our country culture gears us towards certain types more than others, to value certain types more than others, and to devalue certain types as we're valuing others. Wow. And the reality is we need the diversity of all nine types, all nine perspectives within our organizations, our families, our relationships, because if we don't have them, we're only looking at the world through a very limited lens and we're not understanding the full picture. So each type that we embody is another 40 degrees of understanding of the full 360 picture. So we, we approach life through our 40 degree myopic vision of the world. And as we embody and integrate the other eight styles, we start getting the fuller picture. So we were attracting organizations only maybe two or three of those perspectives. And as you know, when hiring managers hire, they hire in their likeness. So there's this perpetual implicit bias that occurs where people are being brought in that have the same, same way of thinking, same background, same experiences, which cause them to think the same way and create the same solutions over and over again, which are not necessarily the best or the most inclusive and don't necessarily 
address the issues that are really out there, the full issues that are out there in the world that, that the customers have, that the diverse customers have. So getting that, that understanding, that epiphany that, wow, wouldn't it be great if we created organizational processes and policies and practices that really appealed to all nine types and would encourage all nine types and invite all nine types to apply to any organization. And then of course, once they're in, their perspectives are welcomed, included, celebrated, acted upon. Uh, that would be the best of all worlds because then you'd have an absolute perfect organization where, where every single perspective is invited, welcomed, sought out, celebrated, acted upon. So that was that was my big epiphany when when I saw that it would be how could I apply it and that that ended up in my dissertation in how to use the Enneagram to help organizations attract, retain, and motivate their employees. What a way to flip the script on diversity. I mm. love <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because that's the truth. We are just mm -hmm. a human race, you know, mm -hmm. and it is the personalities within mm -hmm. that we magnetize, right? Yep. And you're right. If it's just one or two of the same personalities, that's mm -hmm. a very linear um, world that we're creating as opposed to the multidimensional world that we right. could create. Wow. So that's truly loving humans. Yeah. It's, it's loving ourselves and, and what we bring to the table, but also loving the fact that we have these other eight perspectives that we that may not be awakened yet or as easily accessed that other people can. In, in whom other people, these are already awakened and more fully accessed. So what can we learn from them? How can we integrate that as well? And then it, it prevents groupthink. It prevents just having people thinking exactly the same way and not, a, not really creating the best product possible or the best service possible. So can you give us an example of like one of the organizations that you've really ch helped to change the culture? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many of the organizations in which I work understand and realize that this is a very comprehensive tool and system that if they can implement and throughout the entire organization, they can really change things and they can change the experience of the employees. They can change the results produced by the organization. And sometimes it's more difficult in the larger organizations because pockets of the organizations really embrace it and other pockets are not as familiar with it, may not be as, as willing and open and ready. A readiness is always the key factor here, ready to adopt that. So I've worked with many large organizations that have pockets of adoption and those organizations are definitely much more the results that they produce are much clearer and more impactful and more at a, at a grander scale. So their impact and their influence is much better. So I see that in the leadership. I see that I've worked with Dropbox on this. I've worked with Genentech on this. I've worked um, in pockets of EMC, back, well, it was called EMC back then, now it's Dell, EMC Dell. So the organizations that truly embrace it and the and the departments or teams in those organizations that truly embrace it, I really have seen a huge turnaround. Uh, I have a current client. I will not name them because I haven't asked if I can. So I no, I and I yeah. meant to say that before, like you don't have to drop names at all. Mm -hmm. I just I'm I want, you know, 
I, I want this to be a conversation where other organizations can see where, you know, we could use that. It's like our, we have this one department that's just not, you know, producing anything, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. And it's, it's a, a lot more impactful than some of the other programs or tools that are out there. And I'm not knocking the other tools. The other tools have their place. And everyone knows Myers-Briggs. Everyone usually has, knows of DISC or Insights. Uh, people know Leadership Circle, Hogan, um, all these different programs that are out there. And they are great at identifying predicted behaviors. So these people are likely to behave like this. But we don't know why they're behaving like this. And the Enneagram actually gives you that deeper level of understanding, oh, okay. So this person is always focused on doing the right thing according to their values. Hopefully their values align with the organization's values. And other people can also see that, okay, great. So whenever we wanna make sure that we're in integrity, let's double check with this person to, to make sure that our, our solution or our proposal is really in alignment. And, or how can we access that type one within us, which has that, which may not be as awakened as the other person who's always, the, the type one is always driving them or motivating them. So understanding these nine different perspectives that different people bring because they're much more attuned to them, then allows people to, to not have these misunderstandings with people, right? Why is this person acting this way? I mean, I, I, why don't they just agree with, why don't they follow my proposal? Why aren't they in agreement with my proposal? My proposal is great because they're looking at it differently. So once we start understanding that each team member might be looking at things through a different lens, and might be motivated by a different thing, which we need to also integrate ourselves, we then stop looking at them as others and start to integrate that more within us as well and say, what can I learn from that? How can I integrate that part? What's applicable? What kind of resistance have you gotten? Because you were saying like some of the larger organizations you work with their pockets. So, yeah. yeah. A lot of the resistance is misuse, mm. right? How um, I don't want to be bucketed. Don't put a label on me. Don't categorize me. Right. And the really cool way of addressing that is that guess what? We're already in those buckets. Mm -hmm. Other yeah. people have already labeled us and classified us, maybe not with that number or type or whatever, but they put some sort of name on us because they don't understand it, because they don't understand where we're coming from. And it's up for us, up to us to break out of that box. Uh, Mary Bast wrote a book about breaking out of the box uh, and, and using the Enneagram to do that. We're already boxed. Our life experiences, our childhood traumas, our, what we strategized and the tactics that we use to, to, to survive our childhoods have put us in a box that we automatically respond to certain situations in a certain way because of that. And the whole point of the Enneagram or even the other systems as well is to understand what box we're in and how to break out of it so that we're not always in that automatic response and that we can utilize other perspectives and other tools in our toolkit to respond to the situation and be more effective differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I'm in the Washington DC area. I don't know if you've worked with any clients out here, but, um, I have to say the first three organizations I worked for, we had to use Myers-Briggs mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm just, um, I never liked it because I was like, 
I don't really see myself anywhere here. Um, mm -hmm. But I always landed on INTJ, right? Yeah. Um, on the Enneagram, I think, I think I'm type four. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's like, it had a much more full body meaning to me, you know? Um, so can you kind of go, I guess, for the people listening, yeah. <laughs> let's go through like what the types are, at least what one and four are and, um, yeah. you know, and kind of <laughs> compare and contrast. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the simplest way to introduce them would probably be in clusters of three. Okay. And um, we'll call them the, the centers because there is a heart center, there is how we feel, um, there is a, a um, head center, which is how we think, and then there's a gut center, how we act. And there are three types within each one of these centers. So we all will act through a certain lens, either lens two, three, or four, type two, three, or four. The type two is the giver or helper or considerate helper, and they're all, they're, they're, they're superpowers intuition. And they intuitively can tune into other people and know what they need, even if the other person doesn't know what they need, and provide that help. And they want to do that. They want to provide the help in order to be liked and loved. And the trouble, they can get into trouble here because if they provide help that is not welcomed or expected or asked for, they can be seen as intrusive. Yep. So that's the, the thing to watch out for there. So the type three, another heart type, is the performer or achiever and their superpower is give me a goal and i will get it done so it's very very goal focused very image focused very brand focused because the goal will also feed into their brand and their image of themselves the type four is the um artist or um very 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 emotional and empathic and uh, creative, accessing nature, really about authenticity, being genuine. So they are their superpower is their ability to, to feel not only their own feelings, but other people's feelings as well. So that's the three different ways that we access our hearts. And one of those will appeal to you more than the others, whether it's your main type or not, because we all access our heart somehow. So it's gonna be through one of those three lenses. The next is the head or thinking center, and it's five, six, or seven. Five is the observer, and they are very uh, objective. Their superpower is objectivity and the ability to take in all of this information that's out there, all this data that's just coming at us from all different ways and creating models of sense-making out of them so that they can predict how things will be and that they will be safe that way. They'll be able to say, okay, all this stuff is happening. I know I'll be safe because I know this is what's gonna happen so I can prepare for it that way. And the six is really, really good at that. The six is the loyal skeptic. They're always looking at it from a less objective lens, more of a worst case scenario planning. So it's like, okay, in this situation, this is the worst possible thing that can happen. I will prepare for it. I will plan for it. And therefore, if it does happen, I will know exactly what to do. I'll have all the resources I need and I will be safe, comfortable and secure. So that's the loyal skeptic way of thinking. That sounds like someone that would be really great at an insurance company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like risk management. Or, yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, fives and sixes tend to, to, 
to be prevalent in research organizations, right? Doing the research and creating models and plans. Absolutely. And then the opposite of the six, I'm going to, I'm going to say opposite. It's not really the opposite, but so just the one that's next, the way of thinking is not about worst case scenario planning. It's about best case scenario planning. So it's really about what are the, all the wonderful options that are out there. How can I take more like positive and possibilities yes. and okay. Possibilities, options, opportunities, positive reframe and visionary and all the stuff that can happen. That's good. So it's, it's more around that for the Epicure adventurer, which is the type seven. The, um, the, so that rounds out the thinking styles. And then the action styles are eight, nine, and one. So the eight is the boss protector general, sometimes called the general. And they're really, really good at um, seeking truth, uh, protecting the people who are close to them in their inner circle. And they're good at great at execution, uh, especially delegation through others. Um, we reward that. Obviously, that's the type that we reward as leaders in, yeah. in United States organizations. And we also reward the sevens. And we also reward the threes. So the threes, the sevens, and the eights are what all of our reward structures and policies and procedures and recognition systems are. They're geared to those three, seven, eights for sure. Uh, much to the most exclusion of the other types. Um, Which is a so, lot of types. That's like six different types of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And probably most of the world. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the eights are, um, one of the things for the eights is they, they seek truth, so they, they debate. They, so the, the way that they communicate is through debate, which can be seen as um, Argumentative. intimidating intimidating to others right and yeah. so they're ones i wouldn't say that they're ones that seek out conflict but they're the ones that are most comfortable in conflict because they see conflict or debate as a way to get to truth they don't mm -hmm. care what the truth is give me the truth we'll deal with it it's in the present we'll address it we'll get through it whatever they're very practical that way yeah so the sevens are more future oriented the eights are more what's what's going on right now let's get let's get through it and the nines are the mediators or peacekeepers. And they're all about don't rock the boat, don't have conflict, let's keep things the way they are. Uh, they're really, really great at seeing the whole system perspective, how all the different components fit together to really make the system work. So that's uh, the superpower that they bring. And the, then we round it out with the type ones, which are the perfectionists or reformers. And again, we started off with one uh, or at an earlier example where we talked about it's it's all about their value structure and being in alignment with their values, um, their ethics, their system of morality, and acting in alignment with that. Yeah. And so one of their one of their superpowers is their ability to differentiate between things, to see which is a better option, which is right, which is wrong, which is better for a certain situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that gives like a, a really good picture of what we are missing in our organizations and, and what we have the opportunity to create. Exactly. And yeah, and I love um, that I, I was, you know, I feel more appropriately bucketed. <laughs> <laughs> in the Enneagram that I do in Myers-Briggs, I'm like, where am I now? Like, mm -hmm. I'm not any of this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And and I would agree that my superpower is to feel, you know, to feel mm 
and 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 feel other people's energies. So um, that's why I do the free to be show, <laughs> so I can, yeah. you know, uh, be free to feel and and hear other people's feelings. So, in your experience. Um, like what have been some great outcomes with the organizations you've worked with? More inclusivity, more understanding, better relationships, uh, leading to better results because people are working in alignment with each other towards a shared common goal and not, not having those, those challenges and those arguments and those hard feelings that prevent people from from showing up at their best, really. And from, you know, people are excited to come to work. They're not dreading it, especially when they're included and understood. It's a, it's a greater understanding. Yeah. yeah. So what, um, what words would you share with a company that is considered, they, they know that they need to do things differently? Um, mm -hmm. Like what, what words do you have for them? Take the time to lay down the right foundation. I mean, we always have to start at the base of the pyramid or the foundational stuff. And we, if we forget about that, we need to be reminded about it. We need to be to focus on it. And if we start with the right foundation or even go back to the foundational stuff, then everything else can be built upon it. Yeah. I mean, the, the five dysfunctions of a team by Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni, starts off with trust at the bottom. If we really understood where each one of our team members or family members or wherever you want to expand the, 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 the topic, if we really understood each other, we would have greater trust of each other and then everything else is built on that trust. So that's, we have to lay that right foundation and then we can build a really strong structure on top of it and yeah. just keep being reminded of it. I mean, that a lot of times we do it. It's not a one and done. It's a continuous journey. And it's just a reminder, a constant reminder of our own preferences and our own ways of thinking and our own values. And then how do we integrate the rest that we need to integrate? Because it's not just about us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the foundation in loving and building connection mm -hmm. and relationship is in trust. So how can people get in touch with you should, um, you know, where can they find your book? Thank you. So, so I have a, a website, which is performandfunction.com. So definitely people can get in touch with me through www.performandfunction.com. I'm on LinkedIn, our Carl Hebenstreit there. And my books are available on Amazon. Uh, you can see them there actually back there. There is the business book, which is the how and why taking care of business with the Enneagram. And that's the, the I, I love the double entendre of taking care of business because yes. it is about having a caring business and a loving business as well. Right. So we need to, to look at that and um, celebrate that, appreciate that within us, forgive ourselves for the things that we're, we're human. So we're not always going to be perfect, but how can we make sure we get back on the right path again? And then the children's book is actually a, a subset of the business. We book. didn't talk about the children's book. That's right. I saw that and yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I need this for my kids. My little girls, they do not get along. And I mean, uh -oh. you know, yeah. I yeah. mean, they do when they want to, but most of the time they don't want to. So like yeah. eight and 12 year olds can totally benefit from this. Mm -hmm. So tell, yes, let's yeah. 
<laughs> so the so the children's books okay so the business book was an outgrowth of the dissertation and then i applied all of the other organization development interventions in there as well which you can use the enneagram for and then i realized that okay i don't want to get to introduce the enneagram to adults too late in life because mm. wouldn't it be great if we, our lives were easier from the get-go from the very yes. beginning if we started understanding these things earlier in life so i thought about how can i introduce this not only to adults, but also the adults will be reading the book to children, but also to the children, not necessarily the concept of the Enneagram of all of the different the depths of it, but just at a very superficial level. And I thought that taking the decision-making chapter and showing children that they may look at making decisions a certain way, and then there are eight other ways of looking at making decisions. And then introducing Nina is the type nine character. Yeah. Nina, nine, get it? <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. And I was like, I because I just saw that last night. I was like, wait, here's a child. Okay, I need to buy this book, but I didn't read it before our interview. So, <laughs> but I'm getting it it's now. It's a great way to introduce the Enneagram without introducing the Enneagram because yes. it, it doesn't say Enneagram anywhere in it for the children. There are some questions at the end that can get into some of the elements of the Enneagram and actually call it out by name. But the, the, the whole context and pretext is that Nina is accessing each of her nine or each of her eight other friends to get a total nine perspective, nine different perspectives on how to view the world and be able to make decisions and how to honor each and every one of them in her decision-making process. I love it. Yes, we have to begin when they're young mm -hmm. so that we don't have to deal with the, that. That's the future, right? Yes. So. Thank you. That would have made my life a lot easier if I knew that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for everything you've brought into the business world and now into our families. And um, I really appreciate you for being on the Free to Be show. For those of you who are viewing and listening, share this with another heart, share this with another soul, and take care of business from within. Until next week, be free. Thank you. So are you free? Do you own your part in that? Rather than lingering in shame, guilt, and despair, let's see where you can create more freedom, more joy, and replenish from within. Visit me at CordeliaGaffar.com and sign up for the five ways to only create joy. Until next week, be free.